Thank you, ladies. That was beautiful. And I want to thank the college choir and college music department for a great job this past Sunday night right here in the worship center as folks uh, gathered in. And uh, my wife, when we got home, first thing she said, that was my favorite college Christmas musical ever. So congratulations, you passed the pastor's wife test. And uh, that was great. And uh, uh, my wife uh, loves, of course, the Christmas season, but uh, it was just such a sweet spirit. Quality music, you did a great job. And uh, that was a wonderful number there as well. I want to give you a couple quick thoughts. You might want to jot a couple of these things down, then we'll get into the message here in a few minutes. I want to remind everybody to do your best on this last weekend of this semester to bring a guest Sunday, Saturday night or Sunday night. And uh, if you work out in town, get some of those tickets, invite a friend, bring your friend by to let me meet them after the service, uh, Saturday night and Sunday night, very much uh, gospel outreach time. And so I want to encourage you with that. There's no better time to be a soul winner than during the Christmas season, because that's really what it's all about. Even the unregenerate man knows that this is about uh, the Lord Jesus. And so let me encourage you uh, to be looking for someone, to bring them in, and uh, plan to... Uh, uh, prayerfully see them accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. I want to commend the basketball team for their testimony this semester. Good hard-fought game last night. We look forward to the league play starting uh, shortly and all the, all the student bodies supporting them. It's just been a great semester all the way around. And many of you, this is your freshman year. Let me see where the freshmen are. And I want to commend you guys for you know, getting into your classes, your studies, your jobs, and getting into the disciplines of this semester and uh, starting off as uh, God would have you to start. And we, you are to be commended and uh, we're very excited. We have, I, I'm praying for a record uh, number of students coming in just a few weeks from now in January. We're excited to welcome them as they come in. And I want to commend you and remind you that while you're gone over your winter break, be sure to remember you're still a Christian. Well, you, that was as weak as weak as it can possibly be. Uh, remember that while you're gone this, this winter, you're still a Christian. Amen. You're still a student at West Coast Baptist College. And so let me encourage you, it's, if, it's, if it's good for a man to have a distinctive life while he's in Bible college, it's probably fine over the Christmas break. Amen. So guys, keep your hair cut, your shoes shine. Ladies, uh, uh, keep that sweet, godly testimony. Uh, if you're, if you're uh, going to be at a home church situation, uh, be sure to go to pastor uh, and pastor's wife. Don't be one of these college students that doesn't check in. Don't act like Casper the friendly ghost, you know. Where's he at? I don't know. Uh, I want you, every single one of you that go home, to go to your pastor, look him in the eye, shake his hand, say, hey, pastor, just want you to know I'm home for three weeks, four weeks, whatever. If I can serve in any way, he might want you to preach. might want you to preach at junior church. might want you to give a testimony. They might need a little help in the nursery because it's the holiday season. Who knows what in the world, but be accountable. Uh, you'll never be a strong leader if you can't relate to leaders. So I want you to be accountable. If you're going to be here, come by and say hello to me. Maybe you don't do that because it's busy or something. But uh, make, make, make yourself known and accountable and be sharp and be involved. Uh, over the years, we've had people in some different Christian colleges, and, and uh, they'll, they'll come home uh, during a break time. I'll never see them. They'll never go soul winning. They'll, they'll, not, they'll not follow the rules of their own college where they're from. And uh, it's never impressed me about the colleges where they're from. I, I want people, when they see you, to, number one, see Jesus in you. And number two, I want them to say, I don't know what's going on in that kid's life at West Coast, but it's good. Amen. 
Okay? So I want you to remember that as you get home and uh, try not to forget in the midst of all your studies some of these things I'm telling you because uh, I think it's so very, very important. I do want to remind you about our uh, uh, Jewish uh, scholarship funds, and I want to encourage you that this is a gift for God. There's, uh, from God, there's certain things that I work on with respect to trying to help you. I was on the phone this morning talking to a friend in Florida about helping West Coast Baptist College. That's a part of what I try to do. And the Lord has raised up, who you met a few weeks ago, Mr. Cantor, and uh, this uh, Jewish evangelism program, Brother David Adams and Dr. Mark Rasmussen are going to be right here at this front section. I want you to come by if you haven't already signed an interest. Folks, I want you to think about this. You give your summer, not even all your summer. You give uh, your summer, though, to soul winning. What a privilege. Uh, Housing's provided, meals are provided, and you receive a $9,000 scholarship. Your entire fall semester is paid for, and I'm telling you, none of us are so rich that that shouldn't just set in. And every one of you ought to consider doing this at least one semester while you're in college. It'll help you learn Old Testament scripture. It will pay for a semester and uh, would be to God that you might even have part in seeing a Jewish person saved. And uh, this is what the Bible says to the Jew first and also to the Gentiles. So don't forget that. I want to encourage every student while you're here to take advantage of that. I think you ought to mix up your summers. I think you ought to be involved uh, in Jewish one summer. You ought to be involved maybe in something foreign, uh, foreign field, maybe helping your pastor at home, uh, maybe a Christian camp. But don't do the same thing every single summer. And this is good counsel for you. I've been pastoring for 40 years. I know what I'm talking about. I've seen men that develop well, and what I'm telling you right now is good counsel. And the tendency is to just go home, do the same thing. Uh, But if you're really wanting to get prepared, this would be something that would really prepare you scripturally and with a mission's heart of a great uh, mission field. Uh, I think Michael Fernandez is here. Michael, where are you? Stand up, if you will, with Austin right here. Michael is a graduate of West Coast, serving as a singles pastor down at Coastline Baptist Church. Austin is finishing up five years in the United States Marine Corps, and he's here looking at West Coast and believes God wants him to serve in ministry. Let's thank Austin for his service. Let's welcome these men to our chapel today. Thank you, men, for being here today. Well, I wanted to take a minute and show you a few slides from our time in El Salvador, and I was so proud of the students that were with us, and I was so thankful for Brother Smithy. I'll tell you what, if you haven't figured it out, having Brother Smithy in our missions department is a great blessing to West Coast Baptist College. And I hope that every one of you can go on at least one missions trip with uh, Brother Smithy and West Coast Baptist College while you're here, and we have a couple coming up uh, real soon. So I want to just share a little bit. You may have seen a little bit of this prior on social media, a few of these pictures. Let me just run through some real quick. I want to get to the last one especially. Here's some of our team. I won't introduce all of them. A couple guys on the left are security detail, and uh, uh, Brother Nahum Galdama is the third man there as a college board member and a member of Lancaster Baptist Church. He's the one that really introduced me to El Salvador. Salvador and gave us the first facility where the Friedensteins are serving now. Thank the Lord for him. Jason Tate, the taller fella, graduate of West Coast. You should have heard him preach in Spanish. Man, he was fired up, has started eight churches, one of the leading churches, uh, pastors and missionaries in Central America right now, did a great, great job. Dr. Crabb went with us. Brother Sal Minivar, we'll tell you more about him a little later. Brother Friedenstein, our missionary there in El Salvador. Brother Lay, one of the college uh, advisory board members. Brother Montano, 
who you've heard preach, a graduate also of West Coast. And Brother Isai is our assistant pastor in the Spanish ministry. And he conducted the choir. And Brother Getch, you would have been so proud. Probably a hundred voice choir. Just did a great job. This was sort of the team that uh, worked with us. A few others came in a day or two later. Let's see some of the next picture here. Uh, this is Brother Frightenstein, uh, the spiritual leadership Latin America sign. There were several of them posted around. Uh, we rented a kind of a campground for this meeting, and this was a, a training meeting for soul-winning discipleship, uh, counseling, a lot of different topics uh, like this, and uh, so Brother Frightenstein was out putting the sign up there. Let's see on the next uh, slide here. Uh, these are the guys from the college that I just want to commend. They did a great job. I mean, they went out soul-winning. They helped clean up the camp. They worked uh, just in, as uh, ushers and, and uh, got to see several cities and meet people from 10 different countries, and uh, I know that several of these guys are praying about missions, and uh, one of them has indicated to me God's called him to El Salvador, which is a tremendous blessing because it's a wide open mission field. On the next slide, uh, we have, uh, I forget this little fellow's name, he was, he was uh, 12 years old, he came up and he said, God has called me to be a missionary to Argentina. And I just think, isn't that wonderful that here's a little boy from a third world country who's thinking about others. And that was such a blessing uh, to my heart. He's got saved at Brother Frightenstein's uh, ministry. On the next slide, we have uh, uh, some of the men praying the, the day before the conference or the night before before the conference started. On the next slide, we have uh, some more men praying there. On the next slide, we have uh, just a little orientation. In this orientation, I said things to them like, uh, while we're here, we're here to be a blessing to the missionaries. We're not here to bring controversial issues to the mission field. We're not here to talk about, you know, problems in the churches of America, or uh, we're not here to talk about politics. It's very important when you're in a setting like this that you, that you don't leave things worse for the missionary. We're, I was just telling our speakers, let's focus on the Scripture. Let's focus on really edifying. Uh, talk to them about having a servant's heart towards people that have questions. I also said things to them like, uh, if a national pastor approaches you for money, do not pledge that money without speaking to a missionary and kind of vetting the situation because uh, they would have better knowledge as to whether or not it's a good investment. And so we just kind of give a little orientation like that before the meeting started to some of our speakers that were there. All right, on the next slide, uh, we have uh, the uh, opening night. This is with the choir, and uh, it was very, very hot and humid, very hot and humid. You just sweat everywhere the minute you walk outside, but uh, that's part of missions, amen? On the next slide, we have uh, uh, Brother Collins, our Spanish pastor. He was, of course, translating for me. On the next slide, we have uh, uh, a next slide, hopefully. Let's see here. Maybe, maybe we're stuck, fellas, in the back. I'm not sure. Uh, so somebody tell me if you can get that, and uh, we're going to redeem the time. So while they're trying to unstick that, I want you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Philippians. I do want you to uh, tell me, whoever's back there, if you can get that fixed, because I do have a slide at the end I wanted to show the students. And so... Um, I have no idea what you're doing back there, but hopefully, there we go. He got it fixed, all right? There we go. Here's the slide of the, uh, of the congregation. Uh, we had about five to 600 people at this meeting, which 
for this small country of El Salvador was just amazing, really. And people came in uh, from different places, and uh, they had never had a conference of this nature there, and it was just a privilege for them and for us to be there together. Uh, on the next slide, we have uh, uh, altar call time. People were very, very responsive. On Wednesday night, Dr. Getch, we had uh, 18 uh, that surrendered to ministry, and we also had uh, two applications for West Coast Baptist College from uh, missionary kids, and uh, we're excited about that as well. Uh, on the next slide, we had uh, uh, Pastor Tim Rasmussen from Canoga Park came in late Monday night, and he began preaching with us on Tuesday. A dear friend, uh, he's on our college board and a tremendous man of God. On the next, uh, uh, next slide is the morning sessions, and uh, we had an opening preaching time. Then we had three hours of sessions. There were six sessions at each time. Some were under trees, some were in different types of buildings, but it all worked out great. One thing I was reminded of, you know, I was thinking, oh man, they're under a tree or they're in a building that's got a cracked wall or whatever. They could have cared less. They were just so happy. You know what? Sometimes we need to learn to be content. And, and not to settle for something that's not sharp, but, but they were just really focusing on what they were getting, and that was a special spirit to see that. On the next slide, we have uh, uh, preaching time in the morning. On the next slide, we have, uh, what do we have here? Uh, I wanted to share this quick story. Uh, this is Brother Sal Minivar. Some of you might remember we, we recognized him at Spiritual Leadership Conference at the night service, uh, starting the church in Los Angeles. So for me, uh, this was so fun because Sal is El Salvadorian. And, and I was able to invite Brother Sal and Brother Lazaro Henriquez and one of our graduates, Morris Henriquez. These are all El Salvadorian men who had never in 42 years been to El Salvador. Never been back. Some of you are too young maybe to remember there was a terrible civil war. Uh, the Sandinistas, the communists came in and just were wiping people out. It was terrible. And so there's about 7 million El Salvadorians in El Salvador, and there's about 4 million in the United States of America who fled that war. And uh, so Sal was one of them. Now he's a pastor in Los Angeles, and he's from our church. How many of you someday would like to pastor a church that sent someone else to start another church? How many of you would love to see that happen? So get this. This man here, Brother Callejas, is from Brother Minivar's church, and he went to El Salvador to be a missionary. So he is, in a sense, uh, a grandson of Lancaster Baptist Church in that sense, spiritually. And it was just fun to see them, both El Salvadorians down there uh, serving Brother Brother Callejas is a pastor now in El Salvador. So uh, wonderful, wonderful story just in that little picture right there. All right, on the next slide, a couple more. Uh, uh, this, I'm going to forget this guy's name. Someone help me, Dr. R. Graduate of West Coast Baptist College, and I want to say Brother Ortiz, but it's not. It'll come to me. Uh, but he's in Mexico City, and uh, I was able to see several graduates there, and that always thrills my heart as well. And uh, just thank the Lord for that. All right, next slide. Uh, we have uh, more teaching. Good. Next slide. We have uh, the evening service with Brother Montano translating for Brother uh, Rasmussen, a great message that he preached on being faithful to the Word of God. Next slide. We have uh, the, the choir doing a great job singing, and a lot of these were young people from the Friedensteins Church. Uh, on the next slide, we have uh, another preaching, and you can tell I did a little bit of preaching while I was down there, so I've been catching up a little bit this week. On the next slide, uh, we were giving out some free books. On this particular session, I gave three of my book paid in full, which is our small soul-winning mini-book, and it'd be a great thing for some of you to take for soul-winning as you go home this, this break. But they were so grateful for these little resources. I mean, we, we gave away Bibles, we gave away lots of discipleship material, and they were just so thrilled 
with it. On the next slide, we have uh, Brother Montano preaching and, uh, of course, doing a great job as well. On the next slide, we have uh, the altar call. On the next slide, we have uh, a missionary. It's a BIMI missionary who is originally um, Costa Rican, uh, now is in the Dominican Republic, has been there 30 years. On the next slide, we have our um, group from, El- from uh, Costa Rica. This is Brother Bordell on the far left. And, and this was the only group other than the few from Mexico that flew to the meeting. Everybody else kind of drove 11 hours, you know, 16 hours of uh, country roads. But uh, Costa Rica probably is a little more of the affluent country in Central America. They've developed their tourism and so forth. And uh, so this group came in. They sang in the choir and served. And it was a real blessing because we, we helped buy the property for their church 32 years ago. And uh, now it's a church running seven, 800 every week in, in Costa Rica. So great, great work. On the next slide, we have a uh, uh, couple of the families from Honduras, Brother Tate on my left. And then this is the Goins family. And uh, Brother Goins had a son that was killed. In a, in a, he was struck by a car about eight months ago. And this family was uh, just uh, at the conference to bring some of their folks from Honduras. And some of you may have prayed for the Goins family when their son was killed. And what was really amazing to me, and I just want to pause here and just mention this about the sovereignty of God. Because um, even as I spoke to Brother Goins, and there are tears in his eyes just about every time, they're still going through the grief of, of this uh, loss that they experience, and it's very understandable. But in our group that I showed you a minute ago of about nine or ten um, uh, preachers and the group that we took to minister, this is amazing, Brother Getch, three of those men had lost a son. Now just think of that. That's no coincidence. Brother Bordell... Brother Collins, and Keith Lay. And all three of those men were able to be with Brother Goins at separate times, just sharing their experience, talking through their grief, and uh, saying things that I could never say. Now, my wife and I, we spent uh, time with this family as well, but I just thought, you know, God, you're good, because uh, you... Uh, knew that a big part maybe of why we went down there was to help this, this family. So you pray for the Goins family. They work with the Tates and just do a great job in Honduras. On the next slide, uh, we have um, our prayer before the evening service. On the next slide, we have uh, the final night of the choir. On the next slide, uh, we have uh, a couple of West Coast grads singing a beautiful song. On the next slide, we have uh, the altar call and men that came forward uh, surrendering uh, to preach. On the next slide, we have um, the uh, final night service. And uh, uh, Brother Galdamas, I asked him to pray the opening prayer that night as we uh, began. Uh, it was uh, his vision. He was the one that uh, actually flew me to El Salvador probably 20 years ago. And he had a piece of property. And he said, uh, and I took five West Coast grads with us. And, and he said, if one of these young men gets called to missions, I'll give this property. And, and, uh, and that property that he gave, there's a church running probably 400 on Sundays. There's a Christian school of 300. There's a Bible Institute. Lots of things going on just from the faith of that one original decision. On the next slide... Uh, we have, these are West Coast grads that are serving in uh, Central America, of course, except for Brother Smithy, and uh, we're thankful for them. On the next slide, we have, uh, this is the final slide I wanted to get to. Uh, this is uh, Brother Nahum and Nora Galdamas, and we stayed over uh, on the last day. You can't tell a lot, but behind us, there's about maybe a quarter of an acre of property uh, that at one time was just in, in a uh, crime-infested neighborhood. The the new president of this particular country, this is hard to imagine. Since he's been president, 
the last couple of years, he's put 70,000 people in prison. Now, some of the liberals are complaining about it. But let me tell you what. The average citizen is normally very happy when crime is dealt with. And, and because of that, this property that we were looking at, which was in a dangerous neighborhood, is now not a dangerous neighborhood. Uh, it's a very, uh, very uh, safe neighborhood, albeit a very poor neighborhood. Very poor neighborhood, about two miles from central San Salvador, which is the capital city. And uh, Brother Nahum said to me, he said, Pastor, he said, uh, on this property, uh, and he began to explain some things he was going to do financially. He said, I'm, I'm going to build a church. And he said, uh, this church is right near the downtown. And he said, I'm praying that you can help me find someone that will be a missionary. Uh, he said, we're going to put the uh, downstairs educational, upstairs auditorium, top story a home for the pastor. And I, I thought as we stood there and as we prayed and as we passed out tracts to some of the neighbors, I thought to myself, I wonder if there would be a student at West Coast that would have the faith to say, here am I, Lord, send me. That would really have the faith. Now, everybody should be a missionary and everybody should be willing to go to foreign soil, but I want you just to pray about that. It'll be a few years before that's ready, maybe a year or two, but I want you just to pray. And, and, and I, I share this with you. Because there are so many open doors. And if you're not careful, some of you, you're going to be out there somewhere, you know, and, and, and I'm not putting anyone down who does this, but you're going to be out there somewhere in a part-time secular, part-time this, you know, teaching in a school part-time, but you really want to be winning souls. And, and I'm just telling you, if you really want to be out there winning and discipling and building, there's plenty of opportunities and there's actually people that really want to help you with that. And, uh, but sometimes it's going to mean sacrifice and faith and leaving the comfort zone and, uh, and so forth. And so uh, you pray about these opportunities and pray about this country in particular. Some great things are happening. And I know we took a few minutes on that, but I just felt led of the Lord to share that with you this morning. All right, let's stand together and uh, turn, if you would, please, to Philippians chapter 3, if you're not there already. And I'm going to give you this morning a message that is a little bit of a preaching and a teaching and a leadership lesson and uh, how to plan your life uh, and maybe some counseling. How many of you believe the best counseling you can ever get is the preached Word of God? Amen. I believe that with all my heart. I believe sometimes we obviously need one-on-one -on -one counseling. We need to sit down and you know, work through some things in that setting, but I really strongly believe, in fact... I have had a policy for many, many years. I will not counsel anyone that is not faithfully attending church. I loathe the idea of preaching on a Sunday night specifically about a problem that someone may have in their life and having to repeat it on Monday because they didn't come to church on Sunday. And preaching is preventive counsel. And every one of us uh, ought to see it that way. So I think what, I, and I believe what I'm about ready to preach is helpful counsel to some of you. And I'm going to just tell you straight up, it's going to deal with the subject of your new year. Okay? So this message, I want you to hear it. I want you to apply it. But I really want you, a few weeks from now, when you're kind of, you know, in the Christmas, between the new year and Christmas time, I want you to take this out, and I want you to really process it and use it in 2024. And that's, that's what I want to help you with. And, and this message is all about how to plan, and how to prepare 
for a godly and successful new year. And we're just really about three weeks away from 2024. And so I want you to tuck this in your heart, tuck this in your notes, and pull it out and use it because I believe there's some principles here that will help you. Philippians 3.13, familiar passage. Follow with me as I read. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the pri- for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore as many as be perfect, that word means mature or complete, be thus minded, and if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be ye followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. Let us pray. Father, uh, we thank you for 2023. We thank you for bringing these students here, for the accomplishments and blessings they've experienced. But Lord, as we look to the future, give us insight today to be wise stewards, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Someone once said, haste makes waste. I believe it was Benjamin Franklin, but say it with me, would you? Haste makes waste. And sometimes when you get to this point in the year, you have finals, you have projects, you have goals, you have shopping, and you hurry and you hurry, and most Baptists enter a new year sluggishly and unpreparedly walking into a gift from God, a brand new year. Many times in my life, I've been in a hurry, and I've made mistakes. I've missed seeing somebody that needed ministry. I've forgotten somebody that had a special occasion. Oftentimes in our family, we've taken vacations out to Colorado to our family farm. And years ago, when we had a younger family, I was always so excited to go. And one time I said to my wife, I said, honey, now we're going to leave really early in the morning. Let's get up. Let's get up about 5, be on the road at 6. We're going get, get to get out to, uh, uh, over to uh, uh, Mojave, and then we're going to get o- over to Barstow. Then we're going to get over to Needles. And I said, I want to be at Flagstaff in time for late breakfast, early lunch. I had it all mapped out in my mind. And, of course, my wife, she's such a godly woman. She's just saying, sure, all right, yeah, we'll get everybody ready. That'll be no problem. And, and so Monday morning, uh, the alarm went off, and there's only one problem I didn't hear hear the alarm. And uh, I didn't hear it the second and the third time. And instead of getting up at five, I think we got up at about nine o'clock in the morning. And all of a sudden, we're rushing and we're rushing, throwing stuff in the car, throwing the kids in their pajamas in the car. And instead of getting to Flagstaff for lunch, it was well on close to dinner by the time we got to Flagstaff. And somewhere along the way, as we were driving towards Flagstaff, I realized I didn't have my sunglasses. And I said to my son, Larry, I said, Larry, I need my sunglasses. And they're in the, they're in the blue bag in the back there. And, and uh, he looked and looked and looked. He looked so diligently. And finally he said, Dad, there's no blue bag. And I remember saying to my wife, I said, Terry, where is the blue bag? She said, I told you it was at the top of the stairs. And I told you to grab it on the way down when you got the children. And right then I realized I I was in such a hurry, I forgot to grab the bag. Now, thankfully, there is a Walmart in Flagstaff, Arizona, but it cost me. My haste costed me. 
And if you're not careful, your haste will cost you. And I want to challenge you with how to approach a new year, because I believe there are some very important principles in this passage, some things that you're going to need in 2024. Let me tell you what, if you don't prepare and pack well, you're going to forget some things that you really need. You know, I think about going down to El Salvador. There's some things that you just don't want to forget to pack. And packing, Dr. Getch can tell you, it's kind of a fine art. And if you're not careful, you're going to miss some things. It might be some medicine. It might be the right clothing. It might be many, many different things. But you want to make sure you've got the right things packed for 2024. So let me tell you three things you absolutely don't want to begin the new year without. Number one... You will need grace in the new year. You want to pack grace. You want to grow in grace. Look at verse 13. It says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. Let's say it together. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. Say it one more time. Brethren, you need grace to admit your place. You will need grace to admit your place. Brethren, I have not yet apprehended. How many of you know it takes a grace-filled person to admit, I haven't arrived? I'm amazed at how many students in college or recent graduates from a college who've never pastored a church would love to give me counsel on how to pastor. And I'm amazed at how many people who've never had to stand against the gay agenda, they've never had to stand against the wickedness in culture, Look up here. They've never had a death threat. But they want to tell me what it's like to be a pastor in 2023. Can I just encourage all of you to take a humble pill and to say with the Apostle Paul, I have not apprehended. I've not arrived. I don't have all the answers. It's going to take some grace. You're going to have to pack some grace. But the best way to approach the new year is to say, Lord, as I enter this new year, I don't enter it as a know-it-all. I enter it as a student again because I need to learn from you. And I'm here to tell you that after 40 years of preaching, I'm still learning. I'm still seeking counsel. I still spent time in God's Word and in prayer this morning asking the Lord to help me. And as you consider the new year, don't get this idea, well, you know, I've been to a year of Bible college. I've done that. Been there, done that. I don't need that. And after all, you know, that, that, that college, it are just this or that. I, 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 I'm fine the way I'm at. No, no, no. The only way to approach the new year is to say, I, I must admit my place. First Peter 5, 5, likewise ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, and all of you be subject one to another. And be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. You know, it's amazing as a pastor... <laughs> People will often say, I'd like to get some counsel. And then they come into my office and they tell me what they're going to do. Look at Number one, you need counsel. There's safety in the multitude of counsel. And number two, telling your pastor what you're going to do is not counsel. Be sure that you don't get so full of yourself that you stop being teachable along the way. Every one of us need to recognize that we must admit our place. So be sure 
to understand your need to continually grow in grace. You will need grace to admit your place. Secondly, you will need grace to release your past. When you enter a new year, it is very important that you enter with a fresh slate. Now look at verse 13. It says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, notice the next phrase, forgetting those things which are behind. Let's say that together. Forgetting which are behind. Now, some of you are learning this already, maybe through preaching, maybe through counseling. You cannot let a trial, you cannot let an abuse, you cannot let a hurt of the past ruin your future. I can't explain all of the indignities and injustices in this world, and I can't explain uh, the troubles that people have experienced. I don't understand all of it. If it's sin, it certainly must be condemned. If it's sin in a family, it must be repented of and dealt with. If it's sin in a church, it must be dealt with in the proper way. And uh, it must not be something that just covered up. It must be something that we, with a forthright manner and a whistleblower-type philosophy, deal with it and rebuke before all that others may fear. This is what the Bible says. But listen, I'm going to tell you something. If you choose to live your entire life letting a sin or a problem or hurt identify you you have misunderstood the wonderful powerful grace of God look at there are people who make their living trying to make people feel constantly like they are the underdog like they like they somehow are the oppressed and constantly trying to keep people in that mindset the job that we have in the ministry is not to remind people of the smell and the stench of sin but to help them recover and be restored by the grace of Jesus Christ and the only way that that's going to happen is that they forget those things which are behind that is to say put them under the blood and one of the ways people can do that is by recognizing the doctrine of the sovereignty of God that God in his sovereignty had a purpose. Now, my wife, for example, she was raised in, a, in an abusive home. She was raised in a home where she was physically abused. Her dad would get drunk. He would strike her. He would call her very terrible names. My wife did not determine that she would grow up and live her life hating men. Thank the Lord. She did not determine to grow up hating Catholics because her dad was a Catholic. She did not determine to grow up filled with hate. She determined through Christ that she would forget the things which are behind and that she would reach forth to the things which are ahead. And it takes grace to do this. We must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in Luke 9, 62, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom. How many of you are thankful that in Christ we have new life? We have grace and the privilege of going forward. And so let me encourage you, stop living in your past. Don't ruin your future 2024 by living in the past 2023. Well, Brother Blim was mean to me. My roommate wasn't. My, my friend this. Uh, my, my trial was so great. I don't know what your disappointment may have been, but why don't you be mature enough to say, you know, there were some trials along the way, but I'm not going to live right there. I'm going to press on the upward way. I'm going to learn through it. I'm going to fail forward. It takes grace to admit your place. It takes grace to release your past. It's so important. Every one of you have had failures this semester. 
You haven't had the grade you thought you wanted. You haven't maybe had the relational life. You have maybe had some other trial or struggle. Michael Jordan once said, I have missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I have lost almost 300 games. On 26 occasions, I have been entrusted to take the game-winning shot, and I missed. I have failed over and over again in my life, and that's precisely why I succeed. You see, learning how to get back up and go forward requires grace. As you look forward to 2024, let me challenge you to pack grace. Don't get in such a rush that you don't say, God, give me the grace that I need for the new year. Secondly, you will need grace, but secondly, you will need a goal. And I believe in goals. And one of the things I want to challenge you to do is to take some time alone with God and write out some goals for your new years. Everybody with me say amen. You're going to need a goal. You've got to have a purpose in life. What is this all about? Now, some people don't like to set goals because then they might feel like they fail if they don't attain them. Let me tell you something. He who aims at nothing hits it every time. I want to challenge you to have goals. I, I once saw a newspaper ad. It said, loss, a three-legged dog, blind right eye, left ear missing, broken tail, answers to lucky. <laughs> I don't know how lucky that dog is, really. Some people feel unlucky, and they don't want to set goals. Let me tell you something. The Bible teaches us to set goals. Let me give you a couple. Letter A, you ought to set a goal to know Jesus. To know Jesus. Verse 10, the Bible says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to challenge you to make knowing Jesus your first priority. Now look right here. If a failure or a hurt has caused you to study the word more and pray more, then God can use even that to help you grow closer to Jesus Christ. That's what I mean by the sovereignty of God. You see, God is more interested in helping you to overcome than he is in seeing you sitting and stewing in your problem. And so we must have grace for the journey, but we must have a goal for the journey. And if your goal is to know Jesus, then every circumstance can help you to be driven more toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 3.18 says, Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Somebody might say, you know, I lost a relationship. There was a girl that kind of liked me, but when I said I'm going to be in the ministry, she didn't like me anymore. Hey, if that helps you to know Christ more, and if that's the number one goal in your life, then be willing to lose that relationship. Be willing to do whatever it takes to fulfill the purpose of knowing Christ more. Make knowing Him your first priority. Make knowing His Word your first priority. 1 John 2, 3. Hereby do we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. And I want to encourage you in your new year. Write some goals out about knowing the Lord. Bible reading goals. Prayer goals. Uh, ways that you might draw closer to Him. Let me give you something about goals in general. I want you to jot this down. Just a little sidebar to help you. But your goals must be smart goals. And I want you to write this down, if you would. I want you to write these words down. S stands for specific. Jot it down. S stands for specific. It's not enough to say, I want to know the Lord more. Let me encourage you to specifically write down what that means. I'm going to spend these many minutes a day reading His Word. Right? 
Secondly, I want you to write down the word measurable. Measurable. A good goal is something that you can look back upon and evaluate whether you're keeping track. Okay? So you want to have a goal that is specific, measurable, A, action-oriented. Not just philosophical, like I'm going to know God more, but action-oriented. I will be faithful too and list the things out. Dorm devos, whatever the case might be. Uh, letter R, realistic. All right? It's, it's probably not realistic to say uh, certain things. You want to jot something down that's realistic. And letter T, timely. Timely. That's why setting goals in the new year is a good time because you have this new year ahead of you. So to know Him, you will need a goal, and it ought to be to know Him. Secondly, you ought to have the goal to serve Him, letter B, to serve the Lord in the new year. Look at verse 14. The Bible says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The word mark here is the Greek word skapos, which, which uh, speaks of the upward call of the Christian. It's, it speaks of serving the Lord Jesus as, and knowing the Lord Jesus as the upward goal of the believer. And God has called us to great and noble efforts. And there are cities to be won and countries to be evangelized and churches to be built. And yet we must do it all for the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that you may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is tempered in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we do it to obtain an incorruptible crown. Look at We're not doing it for a salary. We're not doing it for an attaboy. We're doing it for the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And this is the goal that God has given to us, to know him, to serve him, let me say, here's a goal, to please him. Hey, that movie your friends want you to see this winter, does that please him? Really? To sit there and hear 92 cuss words in a 90-minute period of time, is that pleasing to the Lord? Is it really pleasing to the Lord to gossip? Is it really pleasing to the Lord to listen to those jokes? You ought to have a goal in your new year you know what? I want to know the Lord this year. I want to serve the Lord this year. I want to please the Lord this year. 2 Timothy 2, 4, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. Look right here. I, I was talking to Austin a minute ago in my office. I said, Austin, you got to understand something. Here at West Coast, we're training Christian soldiers. He's been in the Marines. I said, we have some dress codes. We have some schedules we keep. We have, we have some policies. Why do we do that? Because just as that young man was trained when he got into the Marines, how to take a rifle, how to take it apart, put it back together, load it up, get the jam undone, how to shoot it. He had to be ready at any moment to go to battle for the United States of America. And the Bible says that you need to be ready at any moment to give an answer to any man that asketh the reason of the hope that is within you. And you can't do that if you're entangled up in the affairs of this life, listening to trash, living a trashy life. No one's going to ask you to help them spiritually if you're living like every other unsaved guy. No man that warreth entangleth himself in the affairs of this life, that he may be able to please him who hath chosen him to be a good soldier. Abraham Lincoln said, I don't know the key to success, but the key to failure is trying to please everybody. And it's a great day in your life when you realize that you have one goal in this life, and that is to please Jesus Christ, Amen. to please him. So for 2024, 
when you get that moment, maybe between Christmas and New Year's, and, and uh, you, you go off to that coffee shop or you sit down in a quiet corner somewhere, I want you to remember, first of all, to say, Lord, I need your grace this year. I, I know I have not yet apprehended. Don't get into the critical mindset of some Christians, some Bible college students. I know better what I need to do. That guy was stupid, you know. I don't even know if I believe that stuff. Don't get into that mindset. Here's the mindset. Lord, I've not yet apprehended. Give me your grace. I need to grow still. You're going to need grace in your new year. You're going to need a goal and probably several goals. But the main goal is Christ. And then thirdly, you're going to need a guide. You're going to need a guide. Now, when I drive somewhere, even in El Salvador, I don't usually need a map. It's just the way God made me. Just ask my wife. She'll say, where are we? I'll say, well, we're almost there. But sometimes I don't really know that I'm almost there. But fellas, just a little premarital counseling. You can never admit that to your wife. Okay? Now, premarital counseling precludes the concept of one day you're going to get married. And to one day get married, you're going to have to have a date. And there's still time. There's like three days left. It's... Right? But whenever you start dating or whenever you get married, I'm going to tell you something. Um, a lot of us husbands, this is a weakness we have. We don't want to admit when we're lost because we know that if we keep driving in circles, we're going to accidentally find where we're trying to go. But I'm going to tell you something. In the new year, you're going to need God's grace, so humble yourself. You're going to need a goal, and that goal is Jesus, and you're going to need a guide, and that guide is the Word of God. Now, let's just talk about that as we close. Look at verse 15. Let us, therefore, everybody say that together. Let us, therefore. One more time. Let So there's nobody that can say, well, I don't need the Bible. We all need the Bible. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect or saved or mature, let us, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Now, the word rule speaks of a measure of knowledge. It, it speaks of the canon of the Scriptures. And here the Apostle Paul is telling the Philippians, all of us need to walk according to the rule of Scripture. It'll keep us straight. It will guide us along the way. It is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and, in right, and instruction in righteousness. Now, the secret to staying connected with the now is to stay in touch with the eternal. The only way you'll be truly relevant in ministry is to stay in touch with the Word of God. Being relevant is not about the latest light package, the latest music set. It's not about the latest joke or style in dress. You are irrelevant as a man of God. If you do not know the Word of God, people can find lights and songs and websites at the closest bar, but they're not going to find Jesus unless the church is the church. Amen. And the church must be centered on the Word of God. Amen. So for your new year, you're going to need grace. For your new year, you're going to need a goal. But in this new year, you're going to need a guide. And so many Christians are looking to the world to be their guide. And others are driving around acting like they know where they're going, and they really don't. 
They're bouncing from one church to another church, from one author to another author. Some young men, their wives are kind of steering their family for them. Last time I checked, God wants you young men to get some leadership in your bones and know where you're going spiritually. The scriptures will help you with this. The scriptures will guide you. Let me say this. The Holy Spirit will guide you. It's a wonderful thing to follow the Holy Spirit's leading in your life. John 16, 13. Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you. Isn't that simple? Someone says, Christian life's hard. No, it's not. John 16, 13. Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, has come. By the way, everybody help me here. He came. On the day of Pentecost. And when you got saved, he indwelled your life. The Spirit of truth, when he has come, he will guide you. Now, let me tell you something. He will always guide you to glorify Christ. He will never guide you into sin. He will always guide you according to the Word of God. God will guide you. The Scriptures will guide you. The Holy Spirit will guide you. Let me say this. Spiritual leaders will guide you. Spiritual leaders will guide you. say, well... I'll tell you, there's a lot of phony baloney spiritual leaders and a lot of abuse in the church. And let me tell you, a lot of times that's overly broadcast, frankly. Let me tell you, I thank the Lord that in my life's experience, 14,000 unaffiliated Baptist churches, thousands of them that I know, the vast majority of them, listen, they read their Bible and pray. They love their wives. They walk in the Spirit. They're good people. By the way, in my life, how many of you know I've tried to practice separation? Separation from the world, right? Separation from the world. Everybody, everybody understand what I'm saying? The Christian life's a holy life. Everybody, everybody on page with me? Christian life's a holy life. But you know what? I've also separated from some Baptists who didn't handle sin well or who were harsh in their spirit. That's just a decision I've had to make. But not too many times have I had to do that because most of the men that I've been around and that we've had preach in this pulpit are good, godly men. Do you know why Satan wants to discourage people about human leadership? Because Satan knows God uses human leadership in the lives of people. He would love for you to get ticked off at every Baptist preacher. Because God knows, God has ordained that men work in your life the scriptures, and Satan knows that's his plan. The minute you become a youth pastor, Satan's going to try to discredit you. Oh, you better watch out for him, you see. Now, what is the biblical pattern, really? Well, we know the first guide I preached to you a moment ago is the Scriptures. The second guide is the Holy Spirit, right? But the third guide that God gives is spiritual leadership. Now, look at it, verse 17. Couldn't be any plainer. Look at what it says. It says, brethren, be ye followers together of me. Now, I could just hear the blogs in 2023. Wow! What a cult! He's telling them to follow him? What is it all about him? Excuse me. First, he told them to follow the Bible. Second, we told them to follow the Holy Spirit. But guess what? Paul, on several occasions, said, follow me as I follow Christ. I often tell our graduates, if you go somewhere and, and the pastor changes doctrinally or the pastor's like immoral and trying to still pastor the church, leave you got to follow Christ first. Somebody say amen here. I'm, tr- I'm trying to counsel you. I told you that. I'm trying to help you. But if you go somewhere and, you know, pastor's like, well, we're going to have service on Thursday night because Wednesday night is, you know, something big in the city, whatever. You follow the pastor. 
And, and pastors, your pastor wants to help you. I'm thinking of Austin here because he was in my office a minute ago. Your pastor wanted you to be here today, Austin. That was his heart. That ought to mean something to you. A pastor's a shepherd. Your pastor can't be your shepherd if you don't go home and say, Hi, pastor. Bah, bah. Nice little dumb college student. <laughs> I don't know how that conversation goes. <laughs> but I'm trying to tell you, most pastors are so happy that you're in Bible college. And they really want to just see you. And they want to help you. And they know that they're not replacing God or the Bible. But God put them in your life and don't neglect it. Because someday if you are a pastor, you'll hope that somebody acknowledges that you exist. Hebrews 13, 7 teaches that. So I know there's a lot of messed up situations out in the, in the religious world and it's terrible and sad. But don't let Satan rob you of the blessing of people that want to help you in your life. Spiritual leaders will guide you. Remember Hebrews 10, 24? Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. I just love that. Just, just consider each other. Just help each other. And certainly your pastor, he wants to help you. I'm going to close. Life is a journey. 2024 will be a gift. If you get to 2024, it will be a gift. And, and on this, this journey, I just want to challenge you. Before the journey starts, you've got about three weeks between now and the journey. If you were going to go to Alaska, or if you were going to go to Australia, or if you were going to go to Central America, about three weeks before a big trip like that, I think, Dr. R, you're going to go see your kids in, in Thailand. When? Two, a week from Tuesday. I can guarantee you, periodically, in Dr. and Mrs. Rasmussen's mind, in the, next, in the next week, they're going to think, I want to get this little gift for my grandchild. We need to get some peanut butter, you know, for them. I don't know. We used to pack peanut butter when we went to the Orient. They probably have it now. But, but we're going to, oh, I ought to pack this clothing. It's a little cooler because it'll be 117 degrees over there in Thailand when we get there. And, and, and in their mind, they're, they're thinking, I'm going on a journey. I want to get the right stuff in the suitcase. Now, wait a minute. You should be thinking about your new year. It's coming. What do you need to pack? What do you need to take with you? Take grace. Make sure that you're growing in grace. Make sure that you're humble. Hey, let me encourage you. Take some good goals to know Jesus, to serve Jesus, to walk with Jesus. Hey, let me encourage you. You're going to need a guide. Be sure as you enter the new year, you're following God's word. You're listening to God's spirit. You're seeking godly counsel because you're going to need a guide every single step of the way. And I hope and pray that when I see you a few weeks into the month of January, we open the doors, we have our winter revival, Dr. Getch's preaching classes are open, that I'm not just looking at a bunch of aimlessly wandering students, but I'm looking at people that are focused, people that are growing in grace, people that are following Jesus, people that are truly, truly in their heart just saying, Lord Jesus, guide me. I want to be your servant. I want you to use me. Don't waste this life. Take some time in the next few weeks. Write it out. Set the goals. And then follow Jesus into your new year.